0: Please to, to, turn in your Bibles to the book of Ruth. You can find the passage we're going to read this morning on page 307 in the Pew Bible. Our congregation has been working through this book. Uh, we've seen how it, function, it, it focuses in on one family in the midst of a very uh, dysfunctional time during the, the time of the judges in the Old Testament. And in the midst of all the chaos, uh, we're focusing in on God's grace as it works in one family, in one community and uh, seeing how God works. This family that went out uh, from Israel uh, with a uh, a husband and two sons uh, added two daughters-in-law but then father died and the two sons died and so now uh, Naomi has returned with one of her daughters-in-law and I'm actually gonna read all of chapter two. We looked at the first half of chapter two last week and uh, I think I'll read the entire chapter two And we'll focus our attention on the second half of the chapter. This is God's Word. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. So Ruth, the Moabitess, said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. And she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to that part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And and they answered him, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, And said, it is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. Then Boaz said to Ruth, you will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. So she fell on her face and bowed to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? And Boaz answered and said to her, It's been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth And have come to a people whom you did not know before. The Lord repay your work. And a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel. Under whose wings you have come for refuge. Then she said let me find favor in your sight my Lord. For you have comforted me. And have spoken kindly to your maidservant. Though I am not like one of your maidservants. Now Boaz said to her at mealtime. Come here and eat of the bread. And dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed the parched grain to her and she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. And when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. Also let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening and beat out what she had gleaned. And it was about an ephah of barley. Then she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. So she brought out and gave to her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where have you gleaned today, and where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked, and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be the Lord, I'm sorry, blessed, blessed, be, blessed be he of the Lord, sorry, who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, this man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. Ruth the Moabitess said, he also said to me, you shall stay close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women and that the people do not meet you in any other field. So she stayed close by the young woman of Bo- women of Boaz to glean until the end of the barley harvest and wheat harvest and she dwelt with her mother-in-law. And there will end the reading of God's word. May he bless his word to us as we consider it together. <clears throat> well, the uh, week before last, the IU men's basketball team won a big game against Iowa and hope uh, revived. And then uh, they played against Penn State, and got destroyed, and hope waned. And then, last week, they played, early in the week, they played a game uh, against Ohio State, in which they came back from 18 points down and won, and hope revived again. And then last night, they played Purdue, and we won't even talk about what happened there. And so, up and down, up and down, that's the way it goes, our interest and our enthusiasm rises and falls. And we find it very hard to be interested or enthusiastic when there's no hope and when things look like there's no future. And uh, this is true not only in supporting basketball teams but in life in general. When we lose enthusiasm about the future, it's very easy for us to lose hope and, uh, and to lose our interest in things, but we need to recognize how incredibly fickle our hope can be, oftentimes rising and falling on things as trivial as basketball games, just whatever's going on in our lives. How is it that we can have the kind of hope that is an anchor to the soul, as the book of Hebrews describes, a kind of hope that doesn't go up and down depending on our circumstances? I put on your outline a quotation from the book of 1 Peter. And here in 1 Peter 3:15, we are told that we are to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. And the implication there is as a Christian, you should be living a life that is conspicuous in its hope, so much so that people who don't even know you would see you and ask what the reason is for the hope that is in you. How is it that we get a hope that rises above our circumstances and holds on to us in all kinds of experiences? Well, uh, we experience this kind of hope the same way it's going to come to Ruth and Naomi in this passage. We experience that hope through God's great Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the lesson I hope we'll see as we look at the passage that we are to find our hope in the kindness of God's Redeemer. It is a kindness that raises you from death to life and enables you to be a conduit of his kindness out to the world. And we will, Lord willing, see how this comes out in our passage. And children, if you'd like to draw a picture for me uh, today, I think I've asked you to draw a picture of Ruth as she comes back to her mother-in-law, Naomi, and what is Ruth carrying, and how does that get Naomi's attention? And listen for what we learn about that. Well, there is an outline in the bulletin if you'd like to follow along. The first thing I want us to notice is that it is hard to have hope when your dreams have been shattered. It's hard to adequately express how completely devastated this woman, Naomi, has been by the events of the opening chapter of this book. She leaves her home community and is in a foreign land and her husband dies and then she loses both of her sons and she comes back to Bethlehem, back to her homeland and she describes herself as being empty. The Lord took me out full. He brought me back empty and particularly the loss of her two sons would be felt in her culture. Uh, I read somewhere that Uh, A management consultant asked American men uh, who they would save, if they could only save one person on a sinking boat, who they would save between their wife, their daughter, and their mother. And in this survey, you can think for yourself how you'd answer that, in this survey 60% said that they would save their wife, 40% said that they would save their daughter, 0% said they would save their mother. When the same question was asked to Saudi Arabian men, 100% said they would save their mother in that scenario because in that culture, mothers don't have much of a life outside of their sons. The daughters leave, the sons stay. And the bond between mothers and sons is that strong in Eastern cultures. And this is what Naomi has lost. She's lost her sons. She, re- she loses the closest relationship she has on earth. And with that, her hope for the future. Because she went out from Bethlehem with these two sons with every expectation. Not only would she have her sons, but she would have her sons' children as a part of her family, that she would be uh, dawdling grandchildren on her knee and that that wouldn't happen, uh, that would happen fairly soon. And yet, when her sons married, they were married for 10 years without having any children. So that is also an unusually hard providence that uh, both of her daughters-in-law were not able to conceive and the family had to deal with infertility for 10 years long years. So then when the sons die, all hope is lost. So you have to see in this the death of her dreams, the death of her expectations, the death of her hope for the future. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal this week about the most expensive home in the entire United States. So it's a 13-acre compound with three houses on it down near Naples, Florida. And uh, what was interesting, the the property was interesting, but what was really interesting is the family that was selling it. And because the the, the parents of the family had died, now the the children were selling the property. The parents had 13 kids, and then those 13 kids had 84 grandkids, and they had over 175 great-grandchildren. And they had built that large property because they were literally housing hundreds of people when they did extended family gatherings. And uh, that, that's obviously one extreme. Now, we, we, Naomi wasn't thinking that she was moving in that direction. But you see how the difference between having any children and having none is so extreme. And and she had zero children, she had zero grandchildren, she had zero great-grandchildren, and she would never have any of those things. And this has left her in utter despair. And you realize, coming back, okay, gleaning, where you go around and you, you can pick up grain after the reapers, that might keep you alive, but that is not going to restore your dreams. That is not going to restore your hopes for the future. And so this is, we see this, this, uh, this despair setting down on her. And, and I know the, the, many of us read uh, Pilgrim's Progress as a Sunday school class last year. And you remember when, uh, Pilgrim, uh, when Christian and Hopeful are locked in the dungeon of giant despair. And his whole, his whole goal there is to just take away their hope so that they don't want to live anymore. And just to convince them the situation you're in is never going to change. That's one of the ways that the devil does it. Just to tell you again, it's never going to get better. You might as well go ahead and give up. And this is very much where Ruth uh, finds herself. So much so that in the first part of this chapter, right, when, when, when uh, sorry, Naomi finds herself that way, when Ruth asks to go out and glean, in uh, verse 2 of chapter 2, Naomi sends her out. But Naomi isn't prepared to lift a finger, uh, even to go and try to bring in grain to keep them alive. And it does seem like she has been brought to a place where she's just very much unable to face the future. And I don't know, but some of you here may be able to relate to Naomi because you had particular dreams and expectations about how your life was going to go and what the future was going to be like. And you've gotten to a point in your life where you realize those are not being met. Uh, In a sense, we live in a world of broken dreams and disappointed expectations. And how is it then that we can remain hopeful even in these kinds of circumstances? It's hard to have hope when your dreams and expectations have been dashed. But secondly, we see here that God sends hope to us through his Redeemer, through his Redeemer. So Ruth goes out and she does the Backbreaking work of gleaning all day. Remember, she's bending over, she's gathering up the grain. Verse 17 tells us that she gleaned in the field until evening, and then after that, she beats out uh, the grain uh, from the stalks that she has collected, and she has an extraordinary amount of barley uh, when it's all done. Uh, it says here that she has an ephah, Of barley, And there's a little debate over how much this is, but some think it could be around 20 uh, liters. It could be something like a five gallon bucket, mostly full of grain, which would be enough for the two of them to eat for several weeks. So to get that much in one day is is truly remarkable. And you can see that in Naomi's response to Ruth in verse 19. She says, where have you gleaned and, and where did you work? Uh, blessed be the one who took notice of you. This would be um, this would be like a waitress coming back uh, who's working at a coffee shop and has like thousand dollars in tips uh, for one day. You know like okay, something weird happened here. That's not the norm. Uh, who, who did you wait who did you serve today? Uh, who took notice of you? and uh, And this has very much uh, gotten Naomi's attention. This is something very unusual. And notice how the author so skillfully, uh, strings us out. Even in, in Ruth's answer, uh, she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and she said, the man's name with whom I worked. Today. So we've got to wait to the very end of the verse before we finally get the man's name. Oh, it's this guy Boaz. And now when Naomi hears that, there's an incredible shift in her in verse 20. She says to her daughter-in-law, blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. This man is a relation of ours, a close relative. And depending on your translation, those words could be translated a redeemer, or in the NIV, it's a kinsman redeemer. It's a a very significant Hebrew word, goel, which means a, a family member who has this role of redeeming and saving the family. And, and, and Naomi is just blown away by this because it appears she's forgotten about this man and suddenly he's in the middle of this story. And you see how skillfully the, the narrator of the story works this in because back in the very first verse of chapter 2, he mentions that there was this relative of Naomi's husband. And that word relative is a very general term, you know, just someone who's in the clan. Uh, And then it mentions that, well, he's actually of the family of Elimelech. That's uh, Naomi's dead husband. And so it mentions this, this general relative. But then when we get to verse 20, we learn that this man is a near relative. He is a kinsman, and furthermore, that he is one of the family's Redeemer. So we're, we've been tiptoeing up to finding out who this Boaz character is, and we find out he has a very significant role in the extended family. Now, children, I know we don't use the term kin or kinsman very often anymore, but some of you I know have probably read Anne of Green Gables, right? And, and Anne talks about having a kindred spirit, right? So some, there's someone you have a bond with who has a like spirit, And that's very much the idea. This is a relative you have a bond with. There's a connection there with the relative. Christopher Wright speaking about this says, these quotations are in your outline. Basically the law was that when something really bad happened in a family, such as the death of the breadwinner or a financial disaster, the nearest male relative who was not directly affected had the responsibility to take action for the sake of the rest of the family. And and if you look in the Bible, there are several specific uh, responsibilities mentioned for the goel, for the redeemer. So I'll give you these quickly, and we'll focus on the one that seems most relevant here, but redeeming land lost by a member of the family. You can find this described in Leviticus 25, 25. Or redeeming a relative who had been sold into slavery, who had debts and couldn't pay them. And so you would buy that person out of slavery. That's described in Leviticus 25, 48 or avenging the murder of one of the family members, actually going to make sure justice was done for a murdered family member. And that's described in Numbers 35, 12. And then this final function, raising up children to continue the line of a man who dies without children. And that's described in Deuteronomy 25. And I gave you a couple of these verses in your outline. If brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. The first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out of Israel. So here's a special responsibility of a family member to keep the family line going. The theological word book of the Old Testament describes it this way. There is usually an emphasis in the goel on the redemption being the privilege or the duty of the near relative. And when Naomi puts these two pieces together, here's a man who's been kind and helped Ruth. And this man is one of our kinsmen redeemers. She starts to suddenly realize that God is working behind the scenes. A number of years ago, and I know I've told you this story before, my family was driving around 465 around the loop at rush hour, actually, on a Friday. And we were driving in a a little sedan, and a tire didn't just go flat. It blew up, uh, completely exploded. And so uh, we had to get off off to the side of the road. And and there's not a lot of of a shoulder to work with there. And these semi-trailer trucks just blowing by so close to the car, the whole car is shaking. So you're sitting in the car with our three little kids in the back seat and all our stuff in the trunk on top of the spare thinking, like, how is this gonna work? How, are we gonna, how can I even get out and, and not get hit by a truck? And while we were still just meditating on the situation we're in and how completely hopeless it was, a guy in a wrecker pulled up right behind us. And he jumped out and came up to the passenger side window and said, hey, you guys need some help. And I'm like, yeah, we need some help. He said, here, pop your trunk, I'll take care of it. So he, we didn't even get out of the car. He took all of our stuff out of the trunk. He found our spare, which was flat, of course. So he had a compressor, he filled the, he filled the spare. He changed the tire, put all of our stuff back in the trunk and said, hey, you're all set. And I think it took like 20 minutes or something like that. And to this day, I still think it might have been an angel because it, was, it, was, it happened literally almost as soon as, as we cried. But that's God coming into a situation that's really messed up. And you, 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 ha- you don't have the resources. You don't even know how. I, I couldn't have blown up the flat, uh, the spare. And there's God providing everything that's needed to fix the situation. And God often does that through people, doesn't he? He provides the people that are necessary to fix the problem, and that's what's going on in this story. Here's a particular person, and God has sent this particular person who has this responsibility to come, and has the resources to come into Ruth and Naomi's situation and, and realize this would be like, you know, uh, the guy pulls up behind me, and I roll down the window, and it's one of my favorite uncles you know, that's what's going on in Ruth and Naomi's situation. This is actually somebody that they have a connection to, and they they have reason to hope that God is now changing their situation. So hope comes to us as God provides a Redeemer. But thirdly, God's Redeemer is a minister of God's kindness. You see in verse 20 how Naomi says, uh, "'Blessed be he of the Lord who's not forsaken his kindness.'" to the living or the dead. It looked like God had abandoned them. And then she sees, no, no, God's been at work all the time. And it's particularly God's kindness that she's interested in. And this is another Hebrew word. If you're visiting with us, we don't often give out Hebrew words in our sermons. It's just that in this sermon, there's a couple of, in this passage, words that are so rich with meaning. So goel, the one we talked about, the kinsman redeemer, in this place, kindness is the Hebrew word hesed which is translated in a bunch of different ways in the Bible, it can be translated faithfulness, it can be translated love, it can be translated mercy. And this word is used over 125 times in the Psalms. We often are singing of the kindness, the mercy, the love, the faithfulness of God. This is God's goodness to us. And you see how that kindness is coming to Ruth and Naomi through the person of Boaz, and, and that's why I read the whole chapter, right? Boaz comes to the field, and he notices her. He takes notice of her. He asks about her in verse 5. Then he comes to her, and he speaks to her in verses 8 and following, and he asks her, uh, or he tells her what, what he wants to provide for her. He tells her, I've told the young men. Uh, not to not to molest you. He's protecting her. He tells her he's providing water for her. He tells her then in verse 14, "Come to the table." He brings her to his own table, feeds her lunch, and then in verses 15 and following, tells the the reapers, "Let her go right up behind you, workers." Let, you know, so the gleaners would have to stay way back. You're just getting the scraps that are left behind. He's saying, now let her come right up behind you drop stuff for her. I want you to make this as easy as you can for her. And, uh, and don't criticize her, just let her gather all that she can. He's trying to make it easier. He's providing for her. And this is why, this is why she comes home, children, with this massive pile of grain after just one day of gleaning, because Boaz has been so incredibly kind to her. And when Naomi finds out it's Boaz that's doing it, you see, she realizes this is not just the kindness of a random stranger who's, you know, who's uh, giving this, uh, this Moabite woman a break, but Naomi sees, no, this is the provision of God. This is the God-ordained solution to this problem. And it's not just a solution to not having food to eat. It's potentially a solution to the family line being dead the possibility that the family can be brought back from the dead. And so this is why in verse 20 she says, God has not forsaken his kindness to the living and to the dead. Boaz is the type of person who can actually bless Elimelech and Mahlon and Kilion, the dead men in this family. And that is something truly amazing. I was talking to Lena this week uh, about the fact that she just ordered... Uh, 10,000 bulletins, Uh, so we're, you know, we're burning through bulletins. 10,000 bulletins, I don't think even gets us through a year now. There was a time in this church's past when 10,000 bulletins would have pretty much covered it for a a decade, I think, you know, I didn't do the math, but it would have been a long time, And, and so Lena and I were just talking about how incredibly kind God has been to us, in our congregation now our congregation wasn't dead but it was dying uh, just 30 years ago and the lord brought life back brought us back from the direction we were going and uh, what an incredible blessing to be able to see the kindness of god at work in your midst and just, just the fact that we uh, mention these new members, and some people are saying, I, I'm not sure I even know who that person is yet. Uh, something that was unthinkable, not, not very long. I mean, you knew every visitor in this place uh, when, uh, when, we, uh, when we were here some decades ago, but God has been kind to us, and God has been kind to you as well. And if you're a believer this morning, you recognize how unworthy of that kindness you are. You see, that's part of the point here. R- Ruth doesn't deserve this kindness. Naomi doesn't deserve this kindness. Malon, Kilion, Elimelech, they don't deserve this kindness. None of these people have done anything to merit this, but God has been kind nonetheless, and we are so thankful for his kindness to us, his mercy to us. So recognize God's Redeemer, a minister of God's kindness to you. But specifically, we wanna note here that Jesus is God's redeemer. He is the one who shows you the kindness of God. And last week we talked about Boaz being a type of Christ as he's the, he's the excellent man that's described in this chapter. He's the man with resources and a good character the worthy man who has compassion. But now in this passage, we're seeing he's even more than that. He's one of their relatives. He's the God-ordained redeemer for this family. And so he's not just going to give them food. He is literally going to bring this family back from the dead. And of course, because of that, he points us to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are all in a hopeless situation before the Lord. We're all spiritually impoverished. We all are faced with a hopeless eternity if left to ourselves. And yet Jesus is God's specific provision for us. He he doesn't come, and this is what's so wonderful about Christianity. It's not a theory. It's not a set of principles. It's not God thundering from on high. It's a person who's actually a near relative of ours. He comes to us and he's one of us. He's made out of our flesh and blood. And he comes near to us with the purpose of delivering us from our spiritual deadness and giving us life and giving us an eternal future. And he does this, this is what's so amazing, he does this by taking our brokenness and our deadness upon himself and giving us his life. I put in your outline a a quotation from Isaiah 53, and this is really helpful. This is a description of Jesus. It's a description of the Messiah. It says, he was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken, and they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief, When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And isn't that fascinating? Jesus Christ was cut off. He was put in the grave. He had no family. He had no descendants. That's what the first part of those verses say. And yet, it says he is going to see his seed. He is going to see his descendants. So he's cut off from the land of the living, so that he can raise up spiritual descendants, people like us who have been saved by his grace. And so this is why 1 Timothy 2, 5, and 6 tells us there's only one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. He pays the price. He takes on our death and gives us his life. And this is why Peter says we have been we have been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. Something of such great value. Jesus' life was the high price God paid to redeem you and me from our bondage to sin and death. And if you know the Redeemer, you can say with Naomi that God has not forgotten his kindness to me. God has not forgotten his kindness. I don't know if any of you followed the... the, the uh, the college football championship. But the coach of the Michigan team that won it all uh, had a saying that he had developed since since he was a kid. His dad had taught him, right? Who's got it better than us? Uh, His his dad would use that with uh, his his sons uh, when things weren't maybe so great. Uh, But the dad would say, who's got it better than us? And they would say, nobody, nobody. And so uh, they were saying that at Michigan after winning the national championship. Well, who's got it better than us? Nobody. Well, you know, for the last 40 years, uh, there's been a different team other than Michigan that's had it better than Michigan at the end of the season. It's, it's sort of a state of mind. And, and what this is reminding you is if you have the Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, then you can genuinely say, nobody's got it better than I do. Nobody. Has it better than me? If I have Christ as I as my Redeemer, and I have the kindness of God coming to me through the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus is God's Redeemer, who shows you the kindness of God. And so, finally, this calls you and me to be agents of God's kindness to others. By the kindness you receive from Jesus, show kindness to others and this is why Boaz not only points us to the Lord but points us to the life we should be seeking to live. Paul writes in Titus 2 that we are looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works. Do you see what that says? Why did Jesus redeem you? so that you would be his people zealous for good works, that you would be here to serve him. This is why he has shown you his kindness. Micah 6.8, a very famous passage. I gave it to you in the ESV here because ESV translate the word uh, "has said" as kindness. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness, there's that word, and to walk humbly with your God. That's the idea, as recipients of God's kindness, we are to be agents of that kindness back to others. And what's so fascinating here is like, all of this is not taking place in a religious setting, it's taking place in the community, at work. And, and what, a, what a tremendous forum for you to be an agent of God's kindness to others. In work, where you're working, or in your community, or in your neighborhood, where you're even surrounded by people who may not know the Lord. And uh, this is very helpful for us because one of the things that produces hope in our lives is to have our focus turned out at serving other people and not turned inward on whatever thing I lack or wish I had that I don't. And that's what we see in the life of Boaz, turning outward. And that's what God calls you and me to do, to look around at needs to go out to them. And whether it's just visiting people who are lonely or or speaking a word of encouragement to someone who's discouraged or sitting with someone who's ill, but to reach out to those in need, noticing them and pouring out the love of God to them. Uh, Tim Challies this week in his uh, his, uh, website had a little post on R.C. Sproul that I thought was really interesting. And he said, you know, R.C. Sproul, pretty famous guy, right? As a theologian, as an author, as a speaker, as a seminary uh, professor, as an administrator, uh, probably has done more to popularize reform theology uh, in the last 50 years than anybody else. And I would would be quite confident that many of you have been influenced in some positive way by R.C. Sproul and by his ministry. And yet... What his family chose to put on his tombstone wasn't anything about any of that. What's on his tombstone is he was a kind man redeemed by a kinder Savior. He was a kind man. What a wonderful testimony that at the end of the day, it's not what we did, it's who we are in Christ the character we have because we've been changed by the kindness of God. And that kindness that comes to us through Jesus Christ who comes near to people like us in our need and who redeems us and shows us the love of God, that's what transforms us and allows us to be kind to people around us. Naomi was facing a hopeless future And yet into that hopeless future comes the Redeemer who's going to bring the family back from the dead. And that's what Jesus Christ does for you and for me. We have a hopeless future apart from Christ. But He comes into your life. He takes our deadness upon Himself. He gives us life. He gives us a future. He restores our dreams and gives us an eternal hope that we will live with him forever and this is the key this is the key to how you live with a constant hope in a world of broken dreams you find the hope of the redeemer the kindness that the redeemer has brought to you and then in that kindness you seek to be kind to others let's praise our lord and pray to him for his help Heavenly Father, we marvel at how this book, again, a book that's taking place in the time of the judges, shows us such a beautiful picture of grace, your love for the downcast. Lord, how we thank you for the kinsman redeemer that you sent to us, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is made of the same stuff we are, who comes near to us, and who takes our death upon himself and gives us his life. Lord, how we thank you that he has raised us from the dead and given us a future and a hope. And we pray that you would help us to trust him and to grow in our love for him. And Lord, I know some of us are dealing with really difficult challenges now, and it's hard to hope. We, We can't see how things are gonna change. Please help us to look to the great Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ and to see how he does give us an eternal hope. And uh, Lord, we thank you for that. And we pray that that hope would indeed be an anchor to our souls and would uh, be a constant in our lives, that we would be able to uh, endure the difficulties of life in hope because of the great, great future we all have because of Jesus Christ. And Lord, if any here do not yet know the Lord Jesus, We pray that you would work in our lives and cause us to call out to Jesus and uh, that you would come to us and save us. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. And now let's uh, sing our praise back to the Lord from Psalm 107, Selection A. And this this psalm tells us, it says, uh, may the redeemed of the Lord say so. And so it's calling us, hey, if you're redeemed, you need to say so. You need to praise the Lord. You need to celebrate that fact. And again, it specifically mentions here uh, what we have to be rejoicing in. And part of that is the mercy, the goodness, and the kindness of God. You see that his love endures eternally. And that's that word, has said, in that first verse. That's the kindness of God that is eternal. So let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let's stand and praise our God.